Welcome to the Church of God Network podcast, everybody. I'm here with a, a repeat guest, Dan Quimby, a, a good friend of mine, a fellow former New Yorker, now currently in Tennessee with uh, quite a quite a good hub of, for the Church of God down there in, in Tennessee, quite a, a lot of different groups and a lot of people co-mingling. So it's, uh, it's exciting, I'm sure, for you to be down there rather than in the, uh, the Church of God wasteland that is New York. But welcome to the uh, <laughs> welcome to the the podcast again, Dan. Thank you, thank you for having me back. Yeah, Tennessee is booming. Mm-hmm. It's definitely got a, a a larger Church of God presence than I mean from Long Island where I was. I mean, there's some, but it just always was sparse, you know. Yeah, yeah, which is crazy because the because worldwide was quite big back in the day. It was massive. I mean, my my dad tells a story. He um was in Brooklyn in the early days, and when he's when Brooklyn church started or when he started attending, it was Brooklyn and Queens combined and it was 250. Then it got to 500 and they split into Brooklyn and Queens. Then Brooklyn got to 500 and it split to Brooklyn North and Brooklyn South. And then each one of those was at like 250, 300. So yeah, downstate New York and Long Island, those were major hubs back in the day. But I just think it, New York's such an inhospitable place to work now that I think just people are in Tennessee and texas and stuff like that so but you'd think with such a large kind of jewish influence with like sabbath keeping holy day stuff you would think that there might be some more of a of growth there but it's just never really been one of the you know pop you know places that the church has grown since you know worldwide went went down yeah i was always great for me i'm sure it was good for you growing up that like the schools all had the jewish days off because there was such yeah. a jewish population <laughs> my friends in texas are like you get you get those days off. You get trumpets and atonement off. Yeah, uh huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not realize how rare that was. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, but. that's a that's a good transition. Speaking of rare, I guess it's not super rare, but it, one <laughs> of the, a, a rarity to hear from people who have come out of the restored Church of God or in general groups like RCG Philadelphia, Ron Wineland's group. Um, I think people will probably remember that you spoke a bit about your experience in RCG on the last podcast that we did with you, but it wasn't so much about that subject. So I think we sort of not really glossed over it, but it was sort of part of your, your background, but not necessarily something we dwelt on a lot. Um, So for the sake of this podcast, similar to the one that we did with Carissa, who you also know um, very well, uh, we had a lot of really positive feedback on that episode. I think it was really helpful to hear people uh, or to have people see someone and hear a story from someone who's been in one of the more closed off uh, church of God groups to hear their perspective, hear how they came into the church, how they came into RCG and then left. So we thought it'd be good to get another perspective like that um, from you because you have a a story that overlaps with Carissa's a bit, but you have a unique personal journey on that front as well. So you want to give us some of the um, high points in terms of maybe your early church life and then what led you to go to restored, um, like up to that point. Yeah. So, um, you know, born in worldwide as a kid, uh, the church broke up or my parents left when, um, the God is book came out. So it was at like 92 ish, 93 and they went to global. So I was a teen in global and then living for a little while. Then I went out into the world for, um, a number of years, like five years or something like that. And then when I came back, um, well, I met my wife and uh, we started dating and started talking about the Sabbath. She was a Jehovah's Witness. So we had that in common, right? That we didn't keep the uh, the pagan holidays. So 
that kind of clicked and we started talking about the Bible and about the Sabbath came up and then, you know, it's like, well, maybe I should look back into going to church. So we kind of both came in and got baptized together when we were living. Um, and then, and that, so how old was I? I was probably early, I was early twenties when that happened, yeah. like around 23 ish. And at the time, I think I felt, uh, that God's church was in one organization and mm-hmm. that reasons for us being separate, like the church being split up was because people did not, um, follow sort of the path of where the leadership went. Yeah. And it's obviously bigger than that. Not just like following the, the man that we think sure. um, that God was using it. It was more rooted in doctrine. So from my perspective, I felt that living was the closest doctrinally to what um, Worldwide had taught. And, you know, I thought Dr. Meredith had his history and everything. Mm-hmm. And anyways, that's, I, I stayed in living for a little bit. And then um, it seemed like things just were starting to get watered down a little bit with them. And in hindsight... I don't know how much they really did water down to be perfectly Mm -hmm. honest with you, because it was sort of this um, collision of a number of life events that were happening. You know, I was kind of struggling spiritually at the time. And um, I, uh, the the church was, you know, having more inaction, I guess, like years ago by and really no no progress was being made. And when you're kind of stuck in this perpetual state of no progress being made, it can it can lead you to want to just I don't like indecisiveness at all, mm-hmm. like it drives me nuts. Yeah. So <laughs> I just make a decision, you know. Like, yeah. So it's got to also that, be cultural too, right? Like that's I, I identify yeah. so much with that. Yeah. So maybe there's probably part of my like my character flaws in there, um, but I guess I, I guess I would phrase it this way: I think that when you look at how worldwide was and the impact that it had. And then when all of that kind of disintegrated and the way that it disintegrated by, by leading men just lying, essentially, yeah, over and over, and just deceiving people, uh, that had a big impact. But when you think about how, I think a lot of people feel like the Bible indicates, you know, the gospel is gonna be preached through the world at the end of the age mm-hmm. as a warning. And that we've, always felt that the church is going to be the beacon by which that happens. Mm-hmm. So when you think that, and then you look at what happened when Mr. Armstrong died, you say, okay, well, if we know that we're just, we're getting very close to the end, you know, who knows how many years we have left, Yeah, but the world is a disaster. You know, it's a complete train wreck. Immorality is out of control. Now wars are springing up. So things could fall apart very quickly. And we look at the church and say, well, if we think the church is supposed to be preaching the gospels of the world, how do we marry that with right. the vision that the church is, you know, has been since Mr. Armstrong died? So having that backdrop of my thinking, I was saying, well, it seems to me that the best way to have a unified church would be if, if we all um, put our heart into the one place we felt was God's church to go to. Does that all make sense? Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's a good, it's a good segue into a number of things. I mean, the first one, obviously that that comes to mind that's relevant for church. You got network is 
we see ourselves as an alternative to that because that was absolutely, I mean, still is to a large extent, the thinking of a lot of folks that, you know, that we, of course we want unity with the body of Christ. Like literally every group is going to say that even, you know, I'm sure restored and, and Philadelphia are going to say things like that, but it's about the, the vantage, like how you expect that to come about. And I think a lot of people yeah. <laughs> have expected that to come about by all joining the same group uh, or getting folks to join the same group, but they're, you know, some of the bigger groups might prefer like, we don't want to necessarily combine with another group. That's a, that's a, a, a high hurdle and we respect that. So like the idea of there being an alternative where no need to ask anyone who's been in living or United for 30 years at this point to leave where they are. Cause you're now like causing more division for the sake of trying to pursue unity. Um, so the yeah. idea that the idea that church of God network and, and sort of the model or the, the um, things we promote are designed to, uh, create a sense of unity and family and community without doing that. It's, it's a, what you were thinking is a very good illustration of what the prevailing wisdom had been about, like, that's really the only way we can do it. So it's a good um, transition to what we're going to talk about today as well. And, and I think before we move on to your time in restored, you highlighted a couple things that are interesting because I've I've heard the same things echoed by other folks who went into Restored. Um, granted, Carissa, who we both know, is a little different because she was sort of called into Restored. She, you know, they have a very good internet presence and um, they put a lot of work into that. So when she started researching this stuff, they were the vast majority of the content online. Yeah. But I'm sure for folks who who went with Restored in the early days, a lot of it was about, um, like you said, where the the their perception of the church, the true church was, but also the, the work they did um, in terms of how prolific they were in, uh, in terms of writing and the, the um, I'm sure the style or the quality of their presentations, like their online programming and whatnot uh, sounded like it probably appealed to you and presented itself, at least in the beginning as a contrast to the rest of the church of God, who I'm sure at that point, it's still the case now, but we, I'm sure even at the time, there was this, okay, well, so long has passed since Mr. Armstrong died. Are we going to see that sort of effectiveness again? Are we going to see people coming in hand over fist? Are we going to see impact in the the larger world? So I'm sure you were still trying to get to that um, that next iteration as you saw it in the Church of God. And I've heard that for a lot of pe- from a lot of people um, who went to Resort. Yeah, I think... One of the things I, I always said, because obviously the groups have differences doctrinally, okay? Mm-hmm. That's a big part of why they're not together. And I, I would always sit there and be like, why don't we just teach exactly what we taught in Worldwide, and then we would be together. I, I never understood why we didn't just, just teach exactly what they taught. You know, I mean, now it's a little different because now you're how many years how many decades from when mr armstrong died you yeah, know i mean it's 86. been a long time so now, it's been a long now time. people are more like well can't the church grow in doctrine and i'm not saying that the church can't grow in doctrine but we never unified under you know like what was at that time kind of set as as the doctrinal foundation of the church and dave pack did a very good job of restoring right that exact pattern of doctrinal teaching and also the way with which he um preached the gospel mm-hmm. 
was effective. And stylistically, right? Like he, in terms of how he speaks, he tends to be more powerful and engaging. Um, just well, he's not. He's not. A, he's a, you either. He'll tell you what you, what he thinks, and you right. either agree with him or you don't. But you know what he thinks, and a lot of my frustration came from. This is another part of the frustration at the time was that a lot of the ministers and living I talked to, it's like you ask one of them what they, the church teaches and they would tell you something totally different from what another minister taught. So I was like going up the chain to say, well, what does the group officially teach on X? You know, what is this? And it's frustrating when you don't have what should be a clear answer on some of those things. And it speaks to the political, the politicized environment of a lot of the the leading the larger groups like how the ministry the ministry tends to function more like politicians than like you and, know what i'm saying I'm yeah not and, to, i'm not to, i don't want to criticize them to that degree you know well but, i um, think i think what, what you're touching on too was something we talked about on the phone um a couple weeks ago but i think maybe later on in the podcast we should go back to is uh this idea of perception of how of one mind we were under worldwide versus um hmm the way we actually were and, and the, and how much of it was the product of uh, seeing fruit being born and people just sort of saying, well, I'm not going to make an issue of that right now, even though I disagree, but I think that's a good one to right. come to maybe later. Cause I think that's a, that's a key point. Um, well, that, t- that, t- that ties into it too, though. I mean, because that was another big reason that I went with Peck was because he actually had fruit. See people, Maybe may not have realized it at the time, but you know they could probably see that he was building the the, the campus buildings that he had at the time, and um, his uh, telecast did pretty well. The internet reach, as you mentioned, was probably better than he was. A, he actually utilized the modern tools we have in the most effective way that I've that I've seen a Church of God do since Mister Armstrong. And it's and it's interesting too to to just maybe clarify. I mean, you tell me if if I'm right or wrong on this, but at least yeah. for me, I would assume that in retrospect, it's more. Um, you probably made the decision based on what you perceived as fruit at the time, but I don't know. Like, have you have you still seen those things as fruit? Because I would say, granted, having never been in the organization, that they were things that the Church of God had always seen as fruit, like having a a, a church building and a headquarters and a college. And the way we preach the gospel in the internet reach, but I would I would venture a guess that in terms of tangible results, he probably didn't have any more fruit than any other group in terms of like it's not like he was that group was growing hand over fist from the from outside in the world, um, or you know all of a sudden there's traveling to meet world leaders and, and having some sort of real visible international uh, prominence. Do you do you still see that um, to some extent as legitimate fruit, or you see more of it as like trappings? Just curious. No, I, I, well, no, and, and you, you'd actually be wrong about some of of your assumptions too, because I guess the way I consider what I consider fruit, I look at the the aesthetics, the buildings, the things like that. Right. I look at that as ancillary ancillary stuff, right? Other groups yeah. have that, you know, whatever. But when I when I think of fruit, I think of genuine conversions. Mm-hmm. of christians right and yeah. i think of the gospel being preached effectively to the world so those are the two biggest things that just me personally i look for right. i mean if, if people are being converted and starting their their process of becoming like a, a child of god like a son of god i mean then you're really not then there really isn't growth but i would go to the feast 
let me just tell you, I go to the feast and there'd be a feast site of maybe three to 500 people. And they would say, how many of you is this your first feast? And like, if there was 500 people there, 300 people would raise their hands. Okay. It was crazy, but it was all, it was short lived. There was this, there was this maybe he had just started to, to explode when I had come in contact with. Him. So it was all these perfect storm of, con- of things converging, at least in my life, yeah. where I was tired of the inaction, the division of other churches. I thought God's church was in one organization, was questioning whether the one I was in was it anymore. And, and then here comes this group, literally preaching John Tittle, almost exactly what Worldwide taught yeah. under Mr. Armstrong, right? And that was backed up by the literature that he wrote. And, uh, you know, you could just look at what they produced in terms of their output and the content to see that that was true. So you could prove that, right? So I, all that stuff happened at the same time. So I thought, I mean, when I left, I did not know it was the right decision to leave. Mm-hmm. I said, even when I left, I said, I'm not 100% certain that the right thing to do is to leave and to go there. But I have to make the decision. And it seemed that that was where God was leading me, you know? So it was a big faith building experience. Um, I said to my minister at the time, I said, if I'm wrong, if God shows me that I'm wrong, then I'll come back. You know, I wasn't um, trying to be, I, I was trying the best I could to not be led by bias, you know? Yeah. So, anyway. and, and it's, you know, it's interesting. Maybe we could spend some time then uh, discussing your time in RCG because you touched on something very interesting. And again, um, what I'd be curious about too, because, you know, it, on the one hand, it's, it is interesting that I had the wrong assumption, but on the other hand, it's not actually that, um, when I think about it, that surprising I'm, I'm uh, that there were so many new people coming in through RCG because also correct me if I'm wrong here, but, uh, in terms of the trajectory of that group, uh, from the beginning, they were pretty insulated in terms of like, yeah, we're the one true church, but I don't believe some of the, um, uh, taking, titles unto himself and like prophetic things came in until later if i understand correctly um he had a he had taken a couple titles when i was there so he had like apostle to be probably apostle. yeah okay yeah okay. apostle and i think joshua i think like really? the joshua sort of okay. like following in moses's footsteps so to speak like that but it you know and okay. this is just this was just my experience with it and, you know, people who think I'm stupid for, <laughs> for going there for that. But I looked at it, all the things we just discussed. And one of, the, one of an apostle's duties is to preserve the truth. And I felt like to certain levels, all the other groups were starting, had been losing it to a certain degree and losing it further. And so I was willing to accept the fact that he could be an apostle. And like, even I think it was Paul, didn't Paul say like the the, the proof of my apostleship is you like these converted Christians. Right. Yeah. And so here's a group that I had not seen anything like that. If there was another church of God group out there that I'm unaware of perhaps, but the, the percentage of people that were brand new coming in, um, repenting of their sins, being converted and keeping the Sabbath and holy days was nothing like I had seen since, you know, right. worldwide when I was a little kid. And how so, long were you in RCG? From start My to total time with them was four years. I worked at the headquarters campus for almost exactly three years to the day. Okay. And that is important detail too. I don't know if we mentioned it in the last podcast, but you were, you were in the ministry for RCG as well, right? Uh, only for about maybe, I think a year and a half. Okay. 
So I, I the whole I wasn't the whole time I was there. Uh, I yeah. came in as a member, and then I think after a year of working, it may be two years tops. Mm-hmm. I was an elder there. So, so during that time, I grant granted it's not a huge window, so it's not like you could really see the arc of uh, of all these folks like conversion or, or what they wound up as. But um, obviously, over time. Uh, especially as Dave Pack got into what has been this very specific prophetic series and setting dates and really changing uh, the what had been the prevailing wisdom about what things might look like in the end times in terms of some pretty set doctrines about the kingdom and what is the millennium and whatnot. Uh, my understanding is that's in, in in large part what caused this max this mass exodus from uh rcg that we've seen over the last few years um did you was was there starting to be uh a sizable group of people leaving or maybe coming in and then falling out uh during the time you were there like did it did that start just with that prophecy series or did to your point did maybe all those new people not really stay a whole long a whole lot uh, of time my my experience there was that what stopped when the prophecy things started happening uh and the predictions and and uh and his title grabbing and all that stuff when that started really the growth that got completely obliterated was anyone that was considering him who had any type of a worldwide background or was in another splinter group was no longer going to go there like so that totally stopped but in terms of um, because I used to see the the attendance numbers of the church, like that was one of my um, duty there was to kind of at least be aware of that information. So mm-hmm. it was a it was too it was a revolving door to some degree with new yeah. people. They'd come in and out, but I think the reason for that <laughs> is because the literature on their site still teaches the old stuff, but the which they don't even yeah. they don't teach it. It's a crazy situation, right? <laughs> but were you were you seeing that at a time like because my understanding is um that you left before he got really into the prophecy series correct yeah i think um he's on part like 400 and something now 480 mm-hmm. or something yeah uh, i left when he was um well my wife and i decided we were going to leave after i think part eight once he claimed to be that prophet that was the line in the sand we were done yeah. Okay. So it did, it was precipitated by that. So up until that point, you know, you mentioned people at the feast and, you know, three out of 500 people roughly were, would say it's the, their first feast. Were they people who would by and large stay at least until things sort of got out of hand or like would next year you see a lot of them be gone? You know what I mean? Um, or is that hard to quantify? I don't know. It's hard for me. I, I don't know that I yeah. could quantify it because I don't know that I, I don't. We left early on into that prophecy series, essentially. So I didn't. I don't know about how many people. You know, newer people again. Newer people coming in until they started hearing him talk about that stuff. They wouldn't have really had any exposure to it. Like, Restored does not preach that stuff publicly. It gets leaked publicly, you know, but they don't actually preach it publicly. Which is a funny thing if you think that that's what you're supposed to be doing, warning the world. Yeah. But you don't ever let anybody know about it. So, it seems like they're more circling the wagons than warning the world right now. Yeah, it's uh, so. So I guess I just don't know how to answer that question. I, I, sure. I don't know that so the, of the people that I know that have left. 
one percent has stayed with any form of true Christianity. So that's a, that's a yeah. That's a that's a, a something I'm sure we'll talk about later in terms of the ramifications of all of this. Because again, you when you and I talked about doing this or having this conversation, we talked about um, what the benefit would be to people listening or watching. And you know, for, at least from my perspective, it was number one: you just don't hear a lot of perspectives from people um, coming going in or coming out of these groups because they're so insulated. Uh, so it's good to hear from people who are who are in those positions themselves. And then also, like, there's a lot to learn about about ourselves and about the church in general. From in terms of um, through navigating those experiences, hearing what people like yourself have learned, um, and even something like because I I didn't live through it the way you did, but I have also seen that people coming out of restored have such a difficult time adjusting to post restored. Mm-hmm. Uh, life, whether it's they leave re- religion entirely or they just sort of struggle to navigate the the Church of God, um, but uh, but real quick in terms of your time in Restored, because I've heard this echoed by people like Carissa and other friends of mine who who spend time there, that they're really that there that there were God's people there, right? It's not like it, it that you really. I'm sure you do miss the people that you knew when you were there, that it was in many ways um, uh, a time that wasn't all negative. It just like several things happened that became dangerous or spiritually problematic and however you want to put it. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I left, we had our, our many exit conversations. (laughs) I, I said to them, I don't remember my exact words, but it was something to the effect of these have been three of probably the happiest years of my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had a good experience there. You know, I mean, it was a strict environment, but I'm an idiot and I probably need a strict environment. Right. I mean, <laughs> I think I needed to have more of uh, a time under that stricter because, you know, I, I could just be an idiot. So it, it helped me in that way. Um, when you unify, you know, I worked there, so it's a little different perspective as well, too. But when you work for the church, your friends are in the church, your social life is in the church, you know, your, your religion and your social life and your work life all become combined into one. And it's kind of a funny thing when that happens. Your life becomes more streamlined. Mm-hmm. You become more productive. Um, it's just a lot of positive things happen when that environment is healthy, you yeah. know? And so I, I had good experience. I, I really didn't have like, I don't have horror stories. You know, people always right. say that they, and some people do go through terrible experiences in, in all churches, yep. in all groups, you know? Uh, so I'm not trying to knock that, but my experience was not one of like horror. It was just very simply kind of like you said that at a certain point, they just were not doctrinally sound and I couldn't stay there. It was just like, it reminded me so much of worldwide. Yeah, because Pack documented more than probably anybody, maybe Flint mm-hmm. has a decent amount. He documented more than anything about yeah. the apostasy that happened in worldwide, and I studied that because I had interest in that anyway. I studied that a lot. I read his book that came of falling away like four times, cover to cover. Mm-hmm. But then he started doing the very things that he explains in that book. Yeah. So, you know, I couldn't stay anymore, and it's kind of like people that were in worldwide. You stay too long. If you listen to someone who doesn't speak the truth long enough, it just messes you up in different ways, you know? And it's so. usually, and it's what's interesting from my perspective, because uh, this is where um, 
I can sort of identify is that I, I was part of a crew that stayed in worldwide a long time. And what's interesting is um, I don't think the the problematic things come in the way you expect. For example, um, the in my experience, I look back on it and, and think that it, staying in that crew was the best thing that ever happened for my development personally because of my personality. But it's one of those things like if we were in the exact same situation now, I probably wouldn't make that decision. You know what I mean? Like sort of doing, we did the wrong thing, but for the right reasons and it had a good result in my personal case. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. What I have seen is that, you know, a lot of people said, if you continue to sit there and listen to the apostasy, you're going to wind up believing it. And I never saw that happen from people. But what I did see is you get steeped in a, a way of thinking for long periods of time that isn't healthy. And that mentality at the time was, well, the right thing to do is to stay in worldwide, regardless of what they're teaching, because it's about the government of God. Uh, we have, you have to have an allegiance to the government of God. And over the decades, then you become very close minded about other people in the church of God. You don't have as many friendships. You get more isolated. You get a little bit more prone to uh, off the wall ideas, whether it's, you know, political yeah, conspiracies or, or things like that. Uh, so yeah. I, I would imagine it's similar for restored. I don't, I, it seems like in terms of core doctrines, I'd imagine people aren't really going to be straying and restored, but if you are listening to all this prophetic stuff, there's going to be a negative consequence when it's so off the wall or when the person is saying like, he's that prophet, all of a sudden you're going to have a hard time. Uh, like trust is going to be broken. I mean, I, uh, it's probably a good segue into this, this next section where we talk about what there is to learn from, uh, coming out of an environment like that, what there is to learn currently from the church of God about looking at places like restored or Philadelphia is that I've heard so many people just question everything uh, after coming out of restored, because not that they, not that they came to believe that the doctrines were false, like the more fundamental ones, but they heard that person who was originally teaching those doctrines start going off the rails in these other ways. And then afterwards they go, okay, well, do I know that the Sabbath is true? Do I, uh, do I know that God's real and just everything gets thrown out the window in this evaluation process? Well, you hit the nail on the head right there. So the issue is not necessarily, cause I haven't found that people buy into the crazy doctrines when things like this happen, I guess in right. worldwide, they went to Protestantism. So people yeah. did, I guess that's point buy into that. But, um, in terms of some of these more wilder doctrinal beliefs, it's not so much that you sit there and, and listen and you'll start believing that. But it destroys your faith on different levels. And part of it is because of what you just said. Mm -hmm. There is a point in your mind, like a stop sign you blow through, where mm -hmm. if you accept a certain thing, like for me, it was the, that prophet thing. Other people had earlier exit points when he claimed to be an apostle, whatever. That was their red, red flag. But for me, when I heard that, I knew that that was blasphemous, right? That's a type mm -hmm. of, of Jesus Christ. It's like, you don't do that. So I, I'm not going to stay anymore and listen to that. But anyway, so, you know, when, like you said, when this man has taught you this truth, he's been the one that, that you learned it from. Yeah. And then he goes off the wall. You're like, well, what do I even believe anymore? But that's because people either forget or didn't realize that God is the one that reveals the truth. It doesn't make a difference who the person that speaks it is. So when we have strong relationships with God, and that's what saved my wife and I. Yeah. It was because we prayed all the time about it. And I, and I had just left living a couple of years before, and I was starting to think to myself, well, I said I'd go back if I was wrong, and yeah. I guess I might have to keep that. 
Um, so, but it was my relationship with God where I would just talk to God and say, I don't know, God, what do you think about this? Like how long? God is the source of truth, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. People at some, at a certain point with ministers like this, when, especially when they emphasize authority and especially when they emphasize that they're God's mouthpiece, mm-hmm. people at some point transition from having faith in God to faith in the man. Yeah. And I don't know, it's different for everybody where that happens, but I do think that that happens to a, on a level that people don't notice it at first. You don't yeah. notice it whittling away your faith. You don't notice it hurting your relationship with God. Because if you say this is God's organization no matter what, why is it the wrong? Why is it teaching falsehoods? You know what I mean? Like, why is it wrong? And, and why is it wrong for so long? Because, you know, and you could probably speak to this better than I could with your experience um, with Worldwide is that you, you do need to give some time for God to correct it, right? I mean, there has to be some way, I think. What, what, do, you, what do you think about that? Is that? Was that some of the thinking you had? Well, it was just that it's it harms your thinking process when you, when you get so rigidly into one way of thinking, like if you're not, if the love is not for learning itself, if the love is not for pursuit of truth itself and it's and the love is for uh, this thing you think you've obtained in its completion, then I think that's dangerous because like, to your point, what's, what's interesting is when you, decide to go to a group like Restored or any group, you could insert any uh, organizational name, religious or otherwise, and you say, this is the right thing to do. Then when some line comes, like you said, just a stop sign you blow through, when that line you thought you had comes and you have to decide whether you admit that you're wrong or you just make an excuse for it, the natural human tendency is to make an excuse for it. Then it's not nice to admit that you were wrong and have to eat crow. So people wind up plowing ahead and their thinking process gets worse. And so what happens when you're not, to your point, you said before, grounded in what scripture says, and then secondarily also open to learning is you get stuck in these ruts, you get stuck in biases um, you're probably more susceptible to group thinking and whatnot, which is interesting because I feel like the vast majority of us in the church of God have come in, especially if you came in from the world, have come in because of critical thinking and thinking differently and not just accepting something that was given to you your whole life. But there's this tendency to want to shut that switch off. And so we come in and it, this was extent during worldwide too. You know, my parents talk about it, that you yeah. go through this process where you're thinking critically, you're trying to not be biased towards what you've always thought you might lose friends or family. And then you come in and something starts to feel comfortable. And maybe you just flick that switch off. You're like, oh, well, I could look past that or I could, whatever it is. And you don't really want to lose that love of learning and and of being skeptical. Yeah, that's a great point. And I also, to the degree with which you've given things up to be in the position you're in, it becomes exponentially harder for you to then make the decision to leave. Like if you've left a marriage and children, right? And went to restored, let's say, yeah. and now it's all falling apart. Like, wow. But I mean, obviously, you know, there's still hope. There's still the truth. There's still, yeah. God's, you know, God didn't go away, but it could be very overwhelming. I know people that sold their homes and gave all their money and, yep. and then, and then you realize it's uh you know, it's a lie. And then it's, it, you realize it's a lie and you, it's, it's human to be like, why did God lie to me about that? You know, you, you those thoughts creep in. You start like, misattributing. Why would God, 
why would God lead me to a place that was, you know, a problem? Why would God take me through the wilderness, right? <laughs> why would he do that? But it's also, it, it's again, it's, it's assuming, it's assuming you understand something perfectly. Number one, you're assuming that God led you there. People like to use that phrase, yeah. but it's really what we want to do. Uh, and secondly, like what's interesting is that you can, you can think maybe God's leading you there, but usually if you feel the need to have to state that this decision is being God led, which you really cannot prove, you probably just want, um, some bit of, uh, backing if someone tries to question you, like it's usually, it's usually that phrase is usually weaponized, um, against people. Because in reality, it's like, look, this is what I think is best to the best of my ability right now. And if God, like you said, if God leads me to see that I was wrong, I pray that he helps me course correct and admit that to people. Like that to me is a, is a godly mentality when you're trying to follow things to the best of your knowledge. And then if you're wrong, you admit it. But like you said, you don't want to be inactive. You don't want to avoid taking decision, making decisions because you don't know exactly if this is God's will. Um, but sometimes too... Maybe it's his not, maybe it's not his, maybe he doesn't prefer that you go with restored or Philadelphia, but maybe he knows you need a certain experience and he's going to let you make this decision because you're yeah. going to learn a lot <laughs> from it, which is the way I sort of see what would happen in my life. Granted, I was you know five years old when the church blew up, so I didn't make a decision to do anything really at the time, but I think God was working something out in the lives of a number of people that maybe had to start with a wrong or imperfect decision but turned out for the better, um, which again, just speaks to all. But, but if it's a decision ready. though, that's the thing. It's a decision. At least God mm-hmm. can work with people that make decisions. If yeah. you just, if we just sit on our hands, you know, then that's, that's where you are, you know, but yeah. I think not fearing when I leaving, living to go to restored made it easier for me to trust God when I knew it was time to leave restored. Yeah. First of all, it was way more obvious to leave restored because they were just pretty yeah. complete heresy. You know, I just I thought living was I thought living was kind of going off track. You know, like I said, watering mm-hmm. down a little, but it was like not even comparable to what yeah. restored was doing. So, um, but I just used to say, I remember saying over and over again, like God, I trust you. You know, this is what this is. It seems like we should do this, so we're going to do that. And um, even the timing, we we had decided my my wife and I because we had some responsibilities there that uh, we would. We didn't know where we were going to go. I still thought the church was in one organization. I'm like, well, I already looked at all these other groups out there, so I don't really have a place to go yet. So yeah. we're going to leave at X time. It was a couple like months later because we wanted time to wrap up the duties that we had there. We didn't want to leave anybody because um, they were a little short-staffed in, in uh, at least my area for a little bit. So I didn't want that, all that work to fall back on people. Sure. But God, this is where I think God rushed it he kind of pushed us out we kind of got found out that we didn't agree with something um Mm -hmm. and then we ended up having those conversations like two weeks later we were were gone Mm -hmm. Uh, but but a mutual like parting you know yeah um they were they were um very psychological in how they tried to get us to see the error of our ways Mm -hmm. like we put it nicely as possible so Um, but that didn't deter us at all because we both had already made up our minds. We already prayed about it. We already knew what we were going to do. And we were determined to just not be a problem. Like, mm-hmm. we're just like, look, at the end of the day, like they told us we had to get rebaptized. So, well, you know, if you, if you don't see these truths then you don't have God's spirit. So we said, all right, well, should we counsel for baptism again? You know? <laughs> and then they waited a little bit longer and came back and well, no, because if you were being called, 
you would understand it. So we're not even going to recounsel you for baptism. But, oh, okay. <laughs> so, Interesting gymnastics. That wasn't, yeah, that wasn't the solution. So things like that, you know what I mean? They try to get you, they try and box you in. I studied a lot about the psychology of persuasion after I left Restored. One of the great reasons why I'm happy I was there because I witnessed a lot of it, but I didn't really understand what was going on. You mm-hmm. can tell things are off sometimes, but you don't know exactly what's happening. Yeah. And uh, so I went through a lot of study of that afterwards, and that has helped further um, just, I guess, uh, instruct me on if things like that were to happen again in any organization I was in, I would see it like 10,000 miles away, you know? So. Yeah. And that's, you know, it brings up an interesting point about the, the state of the church of God and the nature of, of us and our decision-making is that, so, you know, I think you'd agree, you know, church of God network does not see the organizations of Philadelphia, uh, restored Church of God, preparing the Kingdom of God, which is Ron, Ron Wineland's group, or those more fringe <laughs> groups, as part of the Church of God community. We don't see the organizations. We do realize that there are probably individuals who are in the Church of God and have not left yet. I mean, you were in. Uh, several people we know, or mutual friends, were in, and then came out. Uh, there are people we know who. Uh, have gone in uh, over the last handful of years, and we would hope that they would come out eventually. But I think what's pretty interesting is that it illustrates something about us as people in that you mentioned before how you think you maybe needed a strict environment for for a period. And I've spoken with some people who were in Restored, and that seems to identify with their personality, that they like knowing what they need to do. They not, uh, you know, I've heard things like they they had sort of a class system of suit color. Like you this suit was more fancy or than this one and there were certain <laughs> certain colors you couldn't wear and just some people because of the way they have grown up or the experiences they have they they liked that structure in being told things. It doesn't make it right, but I think for us who are on the I didn't like that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't like that. I thought it was I thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. But I was like, they're preaching the truth. Yeah. So I don't really care. Like, do I need to do I wear a blue suit instead of a, like a fancy one? Whatever. Yeah. Like it did, that wasn't really a big deal to me. Hair, like haircuts, they had specific way, not, not like um, one haircut for all, you know, but like they didn't yeah. allow a lot of styles of personal expression and things, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I mean, I've had a mohawk before that, that wouldn't have flown there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's funny. Uh, that's but um, yeah. So, I mean, but that I I always used to say like whatever I, a haircut doesn't matter to me like I mean the, what matters is that the truth is being preached there but that's, that's kind of what <laughs> that's the <laughs> but that's the thing too that again I think this is such an important part of this conversation is that I guess it's twofold the first is I think that we as a people I mean in general all of mankind but us in the church think we often think we were making our decisions based on one set of ideas or or facts or um beliefs when in reality i think we're making them for things that are a bit more subconscious for example i think you know you see the church of god in several hundred different splinter groups and what i think has happened is you've seen people over 30 years now self-select into groups of people that are more and more similar to them so like if you have 30 years of people who um, people looking for a church to attend with and a body of people to attend with. Yeah, you'll have your doctrinal beliefs, but by and large, in terms of the core doctrines, most of these groups hold the same ones. But I think people will say stuff like, oh, I'm most aligned with this one. When in reality, I think 
you may maybe feel more comfortable with that um, body of people at your local congregation, or you like that minister who's local, or the culture in the group more fits your personality. And and I think over over several decades we've done a lot of that. Um, and also, what I think is is interesting is that. Well, I guess maybe before we move on, why don't you speak to that? Like, do you would you agree? Have you seen people sort of self-select into similar personality or thinking styles in different groups? Yeah, like it, like a temperature for a group kind of a thing, like a different. Um, you mean, like for example, like living living tends to have a reputation of people being more strict and more. Uh, is that what you're saying? Like something to that effect. Yeah, that it's it's less about because you know the 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 common refrain is that the reason we're divided is because of differences in belief. And I'm not saying all the groups have exactly the same doctrines, but when you look at the explicit doctrines taught, there is way less different than there is similar, which would lead one to believe that it's about something else. Like it's about a personal experience that jaded you with a certain group. And so you found the next best approximation or oh, something. Well, I see what you're saying. Um, I see what you're saying. Or it could yes. be. Yeah. Like I do like more strict. I I have a very, I have very fond memories of worldwide. So I want to, to go to a group that replicates that, or I had a really bad um, experience in worldwide. I believe the doctrines, but I had a bad experience in the structure. I want to go to a group that has the exact opposite structure. And it, maybe it's not about, <laughs> Maybe it's not about that I think that's the right structure. Maybe it's more about the fact that I'm more comfortable because the exact opposite of where I had the bad experience, which leads to a different, my own personal views. I think we tend to moralize systems of government too much because any system of government in the church or out is run by men. Therefore, it's not going to work. We need God. And that's the reason why we need God, because we can't do it ourselves, whether in the church or not. Um, but at least I found that to be to be an interesting driver of where people uh, go. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I understand that. So yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I definitely think that that is the case as the years have gone on. Mm-hmm. Because I think initially when the church split, you had only a couple of bigger groups. Let's take 95 as a, as a point when United split off. So you'd have like United, you had uh, Global at the time, I think. Um, you had Philadelphia was like the late right? 80s too. Yeah, so, uh, the PCG was kind of already like weird yeah you know? they knew like they the were beginning already, yeah he was already saying stuff that was not really biblical so right. um but like church of the great god i think came out in 1990 right john rittenbaugh no john rittenbaugh i don't know when they started but yeah i i, I think he was actually the first, was pretty early i think he was i think he was early in the global i think it was 90. anyway so there was only a couple mm-hmm. so in the beginning i think it was more so where is the truth being taught more fully mm-hmm. i do think that it was that because that's a lot of what you heard in sermons, at least when I was younger, what I remember is that teaching about why, you know, we in global are not with, not unified with United or why we're not with other groups. I mean, so, but as the years have gone on and no group has really stood out as the, as the group that God is using specifically, like one, at least in my mind, there's, there's no obvious, there's no one that you could pick and say, this is obvious. They've all pretty much either stayed exactly the same grown or or decreased in growth or split further you know yeah. so i think at that at this juncture now i i see a lot of what you're saying where i meet people all the time that say they don't care where we go they just want you know 
good sermons, a good environment. They want their kids to be raised in a in an environment, a church of God environment that's not, they don't have to take them to a Baptist church, you know? So, yeah, yeah. The, the flavors, so to speak, of personality, I think, have taken over more. So, you know, what's interesting is it, to that point, it's a good segue into I think the last thing I, I would love to talk about because I think it might be the most important one. But um, you mentioned even in those early days, the statements being about the truth being taught more fully. And that is still what what many groups are going to say. What's interesting is I don't know, I feel like I've recommended this to you before. I don't know if you've read it, but uh, the, the David Barrett book, um, Fragmentation of a Sect, where a guy who was outside of the Church of God did a uh, his doctoral thesis on the worldwide Church of God split and then the resulting splits after and why people made decisions. And granted, I recognize there are probably limitations to that kind of data set because there isn't necessarily hard data. It's a lot of self-reported anecdotal stuff. But his finding was that even though that was the top of the list of the reasons why people said um, they were making a decision, that in reality, people by and large followed their local minister. Not even yeah. not even like the guy at the top of the new organization, but wherever the local minister went. Now, I don't in terms of the conclusion, the story you draw from that, I don't know if that is more a testament to trusting the local leader or if it is, hey, this whole local congregation, which I've grown up with, they're all doing this thing. I want to stay with the people, right? Because those are two different. One is an allegiance to a leader. One's an allegiance to uh, the the maybe your local community that you've grown up with. So I'm not necessarily sure what that articulates about Church of God decision making. Um, but it's just it is interesting because I think our decisions are way more complicated than we give them credit for, and that leads to the thing you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago on the phone, which is I think there was an illusion. Uh, that we all thought the same thing under worldwide. And I think, and I don't even think it's bad that we didn't like I, I, cause you still hear people say in terms of the barriers to working across groups, well, we all need to think the same thing. So it's not good to, you know, join forces on whatever this, this project is, but I think having the same attitude and mentality and striving to, to grow in God's grace and knowledge like that's what we should be unified it on. And then maybe some of the very, very core basic tenets. But um, I don't think we were ever really in complete lockstep. Everyone agreed with the same thing. We certainly aren't now, even within each one of these groups. But back then we weren't either. And you could see that because when Mr. Armstrong died and, and then things blew apart, we didn't all stick together. And And like you articulated, you were able to look past things like, Hey, a blue suit, a dark blue suit's better than a brown suit. And you're like, no, they're, they're teaching the truth. So I'll just look past that. And I think that's the thing that, that was actually happening in worldwide is that I think there were a number of things people maybe didn't agree with, whether, I don't know, whether it was makeup or divorce and remarriage back in the day or, or what your local minister was doing that actually was not coming from headquarters. The, this guy just had his own fiefdom and was doing what he wanted. They, I think people just stayed quiet for the sake of being able to be a part of this thing that was happening that was exciting. So I think to your point, fruits and the the perception of being involved in something meaningful and exciting can bring about a type of unity that can even be productive. Like if you just have your own personal disagreements, I think it's great to just not say anything for the sake of unity. Um, uh, but I do think one of the reasons now why people feel so comfortable taking what is a small issue and saying, you know what, I'm just going to leave this group 
or I'm going to, because of this personality or whatever is because there is no clear cut, um, powerful work or impact being done. So it's not like it's a like, well, where are you going to go? You know what I mean? That now we have tons of options. (laughs) Uh, I mean, progress is, is the biggest motivator, you know, and when you have, you had Mr. Armstrong going out. Yeah, because I agree. I, I don't think for a second that all the membership was in lockstep doctrinally, you know, with uh, with each other or what the church was teaching, I think. Uh, but I do. When, yeah, when people have these little head issues and you're in an environment that's that's not going anywhere, they are more pronounced yeah. when everything is moving forward and there's progress and new people are coming in and, and there's growth and every, and there's, you know, people are happy. There's and you're learning issues here and there. Yeah. When you have a greater sense of unity, it's sort of, people sort of put those by the wayside, not everybody, of course, but mm-hmm. to a large degree that happens. People are willing to not, because they see that God is, at least they interpret it as God is moving this forward. So right. obviously the right thing to do is to stay here. And I'll just, you know, be quiet about my little thing. And it's not even, it's not even like we're talking about abuse, right? Like, cause there were direct examples of abuse. Like you said, the same way there are in every context and every group of large people, there are occasions of abuse. This is more like the idiosyncrasies or maybe a belief, maybe it's a little beyond an idiosyncrasy, but you know, let's try to work through this. So you don't work through abuse, you deal with it and you, you root it out, but things that, that are not quite at that level. Um, you're right. I think when when things are not progressing, you don't see growth. You're more likely to use that as a I'm going to try something else. Um, but it also, you know, you mentioned this, or we were discussing how, um, you know, you're mentioning that the you don't believe the the membership was in lockstep, and clearly, you know, that's we both see that it's evidenced by the fact that half the church left when the changes happened in terms of like either believed it or went to Protestantism. And then um, since then, you've seen uh, the the church split as well numerous times. And I think, it, and this is what you said on the phone, and I completely agree with, the antidote to that and the antidote to things like um, falling prey to the restored church of God is an educated membership. Like each one of us needs to be biblically literate and educated and connected personally with God. And it's like you could fall into a, a period of your life where maybe you are involved with these groups, but you'll come out of it, right? Like if it's about truth, if it's about education, you'll you'll wind up in the right uh, place. I think one of the the issues right now is that there are impediments or like there are, um, we're not quite as great on that front as we could be. Yeah. And um, it's... Uh, it- like I said, that's the thing that helped my wife and me with Restored. We really didn't have any stress about the decision because we had been drawing so close to God during that time. You never have a, an abusive minister if the membership was really close to God and educated about it because they just wouldn't follow. Like you'd never have a false teacher because just nobody would follow. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he would have he would be a pastor with no flock because none, yeah. none of the sheep are going to follow the voice of someone who they don't hear. that They don't recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all, that's not to, to bash anybody necessarily. Like we all have periods in our life where we're doing better or worse spiritually. And we're maybe closer to God studying more. And the reason we go through the holy days and the Sabbath and study every day is because 
we have to remember and we will forget very quick the truth mm-hmm. can be lost in one generation it can be lost yeah that's all it takes is one generation so it's very it's very it's very difficult to stay uh on top of it but you know um that that is the the solution to that mm-hmm. they pack would have no buddy to, to listen to uh, no one to uh to talk to if you know people just didn't listen to him that was it's it's a good uh reaffirmation of of things and and the perspective they have as we lead up to passover and the spring holidays too like a very good timing to like to not only step back and look at the state of the church and and our brothers and sisters in christ but also our relationship with god personally is like do we feel that solid connection are we rooted in scripture um because i know i've found in my life book knowledge isn't sufficient. Like you do have to experience things like certain things become real when you experience them. But if you don't have that book knowledge first, like there are plenty of scriptures that I've read over a million times when I was young. And then I lived through something and I'm like, Oh, I get what Romans seven means. Like it was just a convoluted section of scripture 12 years ago, but like now I get it. So, (laughs) so like having, but so you don't earn your salvation through Bible study, but it is the, it's God's playbook. It's it it tells you what you need to know about uh, what God wants from us and His plan, and it's you, we need to be well read in that text so that when things do happen, we have a godly grounding to go back on, and not just bias or emotion or what a friend of ours says. So a really good um, season of the year, I think, to be dwelling on that. But any any final thoughts for for folks listening to this? Um, no, I mean, I, I just hope that if anything, people can take away that, you know, just because people attend some of these groups doesn't mean that they're kooks. <laughs> there are legitimate reasons why people go. Uh, and sometimes they're not aware of the whole situation when they get there. Mm-hmm. And it can be very difficult for people that stay in that environment as it as it gets further, you know, poisoned, let's just say, and and then they come out. Um you know, if, if anyone knows someone in that situation, just be careful to reach out and uh, keep them, you know, stay in touch with them, reach out to them, include them, you know, because it's yeah. it's very lonely when everything you believed is shattered. Yes. And you don't know what. You don't know any longer what God is doing in your life. That's, That's a very lonely experience, but you can recover from it quicker, you know, if uh, if if people are aware of, of that and help out. So that's a fantastic experience. Just like for the takeaway of people watching and listening that if you do know someone who has come out of one of these uh, more fringe groups recently into your congregation, I agree. I mean, granted, I didn't live through it. You can speak to it much better than I can, but from my experience, you're absolutely right. That it, is, it seems like a lonely endeavor coming out of those groups. So much is in flux. And I think what people yearn for more than anything is belonging in a in a sense of community with people because they just left a, a really powerful one and so i think just being there for someone talking with them inviting them to things uh, you know we should be doing that with any new person but it, i think it's especially helpful in healing when it's someone coming out of one of these more insulated groups so great advice uh to end it dan i appreciate your time as always man always a pleasure talking with you yeah great talking to you